everybody. Happy Halloween! And Yay. it is <laughs> <laughs> the bells are back at the right time as well. Absolutely. Somebody must have done some sort of early Samhain ritual because we are resurrected and we are here to discuss a handful of our favorite seasonal movies. No Tom Atkins this time though, unfortunately. We overdid it on that last ritual. I don't I still haven't recovered from well, Tom. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing. We kept getting complaints from all these nunneries because, you know, like all the nearby nuns were showing up pregnant because of all the Tom Atkins sexual energy. Uh, I do highly recommend everybody check out that episode because it is also, I think, very perfect for the season. But tonight, it's not so much about the Eros. It's about the Thanatos. And I think to start it off, uh, I'm going to have to mention a movie very near and dear to my heart and Kat I know you love it too 1986 Spookies which is like oh my god I hadn't seen this film for years and and when Heather suggested why don't we just pick some of our favorite like Halloweeny films or films that we like at Halloween because we've been away now for a year which is kind of criminal but we've both been up to our eyes in book work and God knows what else. But we're back now. The bells are back on a monthly, on a monthly cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Raging. But but when Heather suggested this, I thought, oh, my God, this is just perfect. And we did have something else planned, which we'll do for the next episode. But. I went back and watched Spookies, and it, oh, I don't remember the last time I saw it. it. It's over decades. And I just thought, fucking Heather has to pick the weird one, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Keeping on brand, yes. I, it's funny because this is one of those movies um, I remember seeing like every local video store when I was a kid had it in a tour section and had like the coolest, just most beautiful like sort of yeah monster kid artwork like this cover art and then you rent the movie and the movie lives up to it which is which is so great it's totally the whole thing is like a valentine to monster kids and to practical effects um and and it's funny because it's not like the most perfect movie i mean it was basically sort of hodgepodge between an unfinished film that was originally called twisted souls and then like the sort of new wraparound footage but even with that, it's such a it's such a dark ride. It's such a great kind of carnival ride of a horror movie. Well, it's like I said to you before we were recording. It's it's kind of like a Charles Band film with a much bigger budget just before the Charles Band real batshit era was established. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Like Puppet Master Three or whatever. <laughs> it, it's totally got that vibe to it in the where it uses like the haunted house. Some prick called it a boring evil dead, according to the Wikipedia page I read earlier. And it's just like, fuck you, red letter media or whatever you are. <laughs> a boring evil dead. It's totally not that. It does do the haunted house and the zombies thing, but it's just got that wonderful energy, that like mid-80s, anything goes energy. Oh, absolutely. Also for that for that critic, I would say somebody's begging for a pegan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've missed this. <laughs> I know, me me too. And uh but yeah, like it's it's got I love that. You're so right, because like there's something about particularly eighties horror that has this um like anarchic 
totally like the sense of anarchy sometimes to the proceedings. And this film has a lot of anarchy. I mean, you have like spider women, flatulent zombies. You also have this group in lieu of like the normal group of like 20 something teens. It's like, some of them are kind of like that, but then you have like characters that look like the parents, but they're partying with this guy. Yeah, who's a total... like, who are those fucking guys? <laughs> <laughs> and I, my favorite, and I remember the very first time I ever watched Spookies, my immediate favorite character was the character of Rich, played by the late, great Peter Iazello Jr. And I was telling Kat off air, um, me and my husband were very lucky when when Petey was still alive. We got to become friends with him. And we even have like a Christmas card that we always put on a Christmas tree every year that Peter sent us. And he was such a beautiful, beautiful man. Um, it still is wherever you know his spirit is. But his character is a puppeteer. And he's wearing a t-shirt that's literally a picture of him with the puppet. <laughs> which oh, I- it's amazing that you got to know him, though. Oh, he just one of the most, you know, they're just like a handful of people you meet in life that have like this like golden kind of almost like saintly aura about them. Like, I hope that doesn't sound cheesy, but that was Peter. Like, he totally such a beautiful dude. And he's so great in this movie, you know, drinking beers terrorizing his friends with the puppet like at one point like he's trying to terrorize the guy that's a total mook that's a total just like dude and you know by trying to kiss him with the puppet and the guy's like you know are you queer or something (laughs) (laughs) god bless the 80s son (laughs) canceled he's canceled that's okay he got canceled in the movie so it's fine but um (laughs) <laughs> this, this sort of horror though like um i know we talked about this when we did the lamberto episode which was our last episode i think that holy shit this point but that there was that real batshit period in italian horror where it was like uh you know you just had lucio fault she was making like loads of weird shit and Lamberto Bava, like that michaeli suave and spookies has that like same kind of energy even like the song that comes on at the beginning has got like a bit of a italian horror vibe to it i reckon oh absolutely no the score um which the soundtrack got re-released i think a few years ago on vinyl and it's it's absolutely beautiful and yeah it does have this great atmosphere and i just it's it's one like if you need to get in the mood for the season just throw spookies on and you'll just you'll feel the chill of the wind and just all the great sort of macabre speaking of lamberto (laughs) and and it's got farting zombies in it (laughs) literally we're not exaggerating (laughs) i was watching it earlier and i was just like how did i forget this like how how did i wipe this out of my mind this is amazing (laughs) I mean, it seems so rude, doesn't it? It's bad enough to be attacked by the dead, but then they have to like fart on you. It's... <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get that in some CGI Hollywood effort. <laughs> it totally was that like real experimental period, which I love, where they just started using practical effects for literally anything and everything. That you get sort of mid '80s onwards, and, and it goes into the '90s. Even if the budgets weren't there, they just the effects are just fucking amazing. Those fart monsters themselves, and I also like that fact that that little shit kid at the beginning gets <laughs> buried alive. Sorry if that's a spoiler, but that should tempt you into watching it. It's like this kid 
right? And I don't know what it is about him, but I just, I don't know. He's just, he, his parents have forgot about his 13th birthday, so he, like, runs away. And he gets into this house, and there's, like, all this birthday party for him, and it's like, surprise, we're just going to kill you in some ritual so that we can, like, resuscitate the dead woman in the coffin. It's <laughs> Which I thought the whole wife, wife, dead, well, no, which, what is she? Is she a wife? So it's basically a warlock. He needs souls so that he can get this, this his bride. He's in a bridal outfit and looks way younger than him. He can bring her back to life. And, and I thought that totally had, like, although this came out years before, Michele Suave's uh, Della Morte, Della More vibe about it. You know, the same sort oh, of thing with the girl in the wedding dress. And and so they sacked this kid, thinks he's coming to a party, and then they just fucking bury him alive. And I was like, yes. Because <laughs> there's something about that kid. Well, all kids in horror films, they always just have that face, don't they? The little shitter kid. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other thing, this thing, this film has in common with Italian movies. It's, it was not afraid to kill the kid. <laughs> yeah, kill the kid in the first, like, five minutes. It's like, all right, we're on. <laughs> it's like, all right, the shitter kid's gone. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I know you're supposed to feel sorry for him, but I'm sorry there was just something about that kid. I'm sure, he's a very nice person in real life. There was just something about him. I was just like, yeah, fuck you when he got tipped into the grave. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, little Billy. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, it's fun. It oh is. my god. So it's totally in the Halloween spirit. I know Halloween's really supposed to be for kids, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we I mean, come on, even us as kids would have not. We wouldn't like oh that. Kid. I would have loved it even more if I'd seen that kid being tipped in the grave when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I hated other kids when I was a kid. I mean, great, and isn't like the guy who kills him is like a sort of zombie shapeshifter. Like, I don't know what's going on with the creatures in this film. They're like kind of werewolf zombie things. And then these, the fart monsters that look like, like, um, they're made out of, well, they look like they've come out of the bog of eternal stench in Labyrinth. Totally. the Spider Woman as well. <laughs> I know. Well, and it's yeah, because like Cry Cryon, I think is like the warlock same. Like his henchman's totally like a weird wear kitty. He's almost yeah, like, what is he? <laughs> <laughs> I want some of the acid they were on when they came out um, with this. That needs to be a new type of like the spooky's acid. Give us the spooky sounds. <laughs> oh my god! There's like oh, and there's a Ouija board in it because you can't do Halloween without a fucking Ouija board. Oh, uh, and there's so and there's and they have the one girl at the party who immediately because it doesn't to me it looked like some kind of weird mahjong board or something, but she's like, I know what this is. Yeah, there's always one you know, so there's always one busybody. <laughs> I don't. You don't play a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of reminded me of Goonies 
as well. Oh. You know, the oh. people assembled at the house. And yes. My oh, kids but... hate Goonies because for some reason, I don't know why, but for years, and I'll try not to go off too much of a tangent, <laughs> but for years, yeah, when they were little, like my oldest were little, and my, my eldest is 30 in February, so this is how long ago it was. But we go on these like caravan, like we'd rent like a trailer, in the summer in like North Wales and they'd always have like a, a DVD player like they didn't have cable or whatever so we always used to take like DVDs with us on holidays and for some reason we always end up taking Ghoulies 1 and Ghoulies 2 and the kids fucking hate it now they're just like why have you brought this again and I don't know why but it became like the thing <laughs> Oh my gosh! Was it Ghoulies Two that had Wasp in it, or was that the third one? I'm trying to remember. Oh no, that might be Ghoulies. See, I we watched it every year. I don't fucking know. Ghoulies <laughs> Two is with the fun fair with the giant Ghoulie coming out of the bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Ghoulies One is where they're in that house with that suspect-looking wizardy man. Oh god, the one that looks kind of like Michael Debar, but it's not Michael Debar. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I remember. <laughs> That's oh. my beauty. So, actually, this is a good segue to get into my first choice because it's another film that my fucking kids can't stand because <laughs> I overexposed them to it. And that's Mad Monster Party from 1967. Honey, let's dance. <laughs> now, I I don't really know much about. I know there's like these real hardcore ranking and ranking and is it ranking and bass? I believe yes. Right? I'm, yeah. There's like a huge following for them, and people kind of you know love their work and everything. But we never really got to see it here in the UK. Apart from Mad Monster Party showed on TV a couple of times when I was like really, really young. And I'm pretty sure one of those times was during the summer holidays. And I thought that I'd imagine this film. You know, when you you don't hear about it and you don't see anything about it for years. And I think, what is what was that film with the puppets? Did I dream that? It suddenly had like a DVD release anyway. And so every Halloween, I would make the kids, why well, would put this on? And so the kids would be forced to watch it and they <laughs> fucking hate it now. Because they're just like, why do you always put this film on? Like every year, that and Halloween 3. Yeah. So I had to pick it though, because I still love it. Like I still watch it on my own and I don't understand why my kids don't love it because... <laughs> Well, they don't. I guess they didn't really have the exposure to like the Boris Karloff, or they didn't get any of the references in it. I guess, and they didn't really exposed to like, you know, they grew up in the era of Jeepers Creepers. They were watching things like Brain Dead when they were six, <laughs> Evil Dead. <laughs> so Mad Monster Party seemed a bit shit by comparison. Admittedly, you know, they were on the hardcore brew quite early on. So I guess, but they never had like that universal thing or the kind of old, really old classic horror, horror stuff for it to like, you know, have any 
cultural resonance to them but it's just such a wonderful little love letter and I love I just love puppets I just love little puppets I, I well that's why we had to mention spookies I mean we got puppets in that too and I I love that you picked this film because I think it's such a it is like such a cool kind of like sort of throwback for older horror which we we don't have all you know spoiler we don't have a whole lot of that on this list for this episode but i love seeing this here and plus like what what other film can we mention with halloween that's going to have phyllis diller he was wonderful yeah she's like the monster's bride or the monster's mate in it oh it's so perfect and that theme song i love that theme song so much i think it's it's just you've got so... the little band in it as well and you've got and boris karloff is in it like actually is one of the voices and it's the whole thing about like the the kind of non like it's got a bit of the Adam's family monster sort of vibe in that you've got somebody who thinks he's not monstrous going to a party with relatives who are all monsters. So it totally like rips off that as well, but I don't care. Like I, I grew, I absolutely loved the monsters when I was a kid. That was something we did out here. Oh man. Yeah. Come to think of it. I feel like somebody on YouTube I don't know if it's an official music video, but someone has taken the band footage from Mad Monster Party and put it to the Misfits version of the Monster Mash. Oh, which is amazing. And it's got all the monsters in this as well. Like they've got Dracula's and it, Frankenstein, the werewolf, and they've got the Invisible Man, who I love the Invisible Man in this, and <laughs> Dr. Jekyll. And the creature from the Black Lagoon. So it's like a total love letter to all that universal era. An old Boris von Frankenstein, who's Karloff, which is great because he was the creature originally. He he like invites all the monsters to his like island, and they've got like this secret organization, the monsters. And then you've got Felix who I can't see. I'm, I can remember how he gets there. Yeah, Felix gets an invitation to the to the island, uh, where and he turns up and he he's like, he's like the nephew, I think. And you've got the guy voicing him, who's Alan Swift's doing this deliberate James Stewart like impression, which makes it even better. Oh, and you've also got the butler. He talks like Peter Laurie as well. He isn't Peter Laurie as well in it. He's great. Oh, my gosh. You see, you're making me want to... I haven't... Because admittedly, I haven't seen this film in years. And I, you're making me want to rewatch it. Oh, it's totally... It's got so... It, like, I was always saying, and I, I totally forgot about this. I know we talked about this when we did the Demons commentary. I like a horror became self-aware. And um, and we were talking about Scream sort of claiming to be the first film to do that. But, you know, the in the 80s, they were doing a lot of self-aware. But this probably is like the first example of a very, very self-aware. Because there's in-jokes and in-jokes in this film, which I didn't understand when I was a kid. But seeing it as an adult, you can suddenly get all the different layers of jokes in it. So it's one of those great, kids films and being a parent I always admire this that has jokes for parents in it 
Oh man, for what was it like? <clears throat> like forty years before Pixar and companies like that were making kids' films. I'll tell you what, Shrek, and that I kept me sane. I'd sit through <laughs> so many of those fucking things in the nineties and the two thousands. <laughs> Finding fucking Nemo was like the the, and my dad asleep with his gob open. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! See, that's that. But to see, that shows like you gave balance to your kids. Like for every Ghoulies two and Mad Monster Party, you gave them some Finding Nemo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so on to your next choice, Heather. Ooh. Uh, well, my next one is I'm going to have to say Night of the Demons, the 1980s. Oh, yeah. Yes, 1986 film. This, oh my gosh, this is a film, I, I remember the first time I watched it, it was like instant love. It's like, I love everything about this film. It's ridiculous. It's hilarious. It's again, kind of like Spooky's has some really kind of cool and very innovative practical effects. Uh, and, and plus it's got my queen, Linnea Quigley, who's so amazing in this. And she she cracks me up like it's just like she plays like this boy hungry girl suzanne who's inexplicably hanging out with the goth chick yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she's just like so sarcastic like oh i just and the music like how many 80s horror films had bajas oh my god just that fucking song is in stigmata Marta. Yes. It? Oh my God. Jesus Christ, that film. I mean, I saw this a little bit later on, I think. I saw this in the more of the DVD era, but again, it was like love at first sight with with me as well. Because, oh. you know, goth, goth chick, goth soundtrack, they're all stuck in this house being, you know, possessed basically. Because I mean this is a really good talking of deep Lamberto's demons. It's it's I've always said this makes like the perfect double bill with that film. Oh my god. Right down to the soundtrack. Yes. Like this is and and especially because like there are a lot of it wasn't a common in 80s films and culture to have like nods to goth or punk bands, but then the actual soundtrack would never match it. Yeah. like, I remember seeing a Chicago music video and Peter Cetera is wearing a Bajas t-shirt. And I was like, mother <laughs> motherfucker, no. you do not listen to Bajas, please. Like, this is... But here in this film, it actually, like, they, they bring the gravitas and plus the dialogue. Like, you literally, like, you have the classic line of eat a bowl of fuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so... So I think at one point, one of the characters calls Stooge, who's, you always have to have like the requisite kind of chubby guy that nobody takes seriously in 80s movies. Um, that was more of a trope, I think, in a lot of the teen comedies, but it, it was in horror too. And uh, he calls Stooge, I think, like Count Dingleberry. <laughs> <laughs> the teenagers in this even though well Linnea Quigley wasn't really a teenager but they actually seem like teenagers you've you've got Amelia Kincaid is Angela the goth chick and she is just like a force of nature she is just like an absolute force of nature when 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 the song comes on she's just doing this crazy dance with Stooge watching her with his mouth hanging open (laughs) Because basically this curse, this demon sort of, it 
it goes from so it's almost like a metaphor for vd or something because <laughs> it kind of transfers doesn't it from person to person until they all get they all get well a bit like evil dead but not like evil dead because it's it's different no, the vd actually yeah because there's a lot of sexual tension like Stu just constantly trying to to get it on and other people around him are getting it on but but of course he doesn't get any action and you always know there's going to be action when the near quigley is going to be in it though i think one of the first times you see her she's wearing this like little pink dress with her knickers hanging out bent over oh while 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 amelia kincaid's like shoplifting because the dudes are totally just riveted by like linnea quigley's panties (laughs) Uh, and Oh my gosh. We gotta start a band called Linnea Quigley's Panty. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. <laughs> At some point. That's just too I mean it, the thing I really love about it is it again it like takes an almost like it's not self-aware, but it takes this like it uses like I guess the wraparound is the urban myths around Halloween. You've got the guy who puts the razor blades in the apples and we'll be talking about that with the film a little bit later on in this whole <laughs> this episode but i think that's one of the first times you really see that in horror interestingly the thing about halloween and this is actually set at halloween as like a a theme or a motif outside of john carpenter's film is i'm sure i've probably said this before but i'll sorry for repeating myself if i have but um halloween at that point was an american thing it like we have Halloween in Britain is like a Celtic thing. When I was a kid, all I really knew of Halloween was like it was this weirdy Celtic festival that was to do with ghosts. So we knew what Halloween was, but we didn't really have trick or treat and there wasn't this like big commercial thing around it. And it was only when E.T. came out in 1982 where we, that was the first time I ever saw a trick or treater. And so it started to pick up very slowly in British culture, but didn't really take off, I'd say, until my kids came were like that age. That's when I started. I guess the kids who grew up on E.T. never got to trick or treat were having their own kids by then. And so their kids went. So now we have trick or treaters. But if you look at like all over Europe, there's not really any Halloween. So films with Halloween in them, are generally a specifically American thing, and there aren't actually that many of them either, which is weird. I remember trying to do like a whole month for my old blog of films specifically to do with Halloween, and outside of the Halloween franchise, I started struggling after like 15 or whatever. Like, there's not that many of them, and so this I think this makes this film even that little bit more special because it plays on the old idea of all hallows eve as this cursed night and and the idea of this guy puts razor blades in apples for little kids again it's it's violence towards kids and then you know and the halloween party and all that stuff which you don't see a lot you don't see that a lot in horror films and um and i'm sad about that that's why i'll go back to what we said on our tom atkins i'm sad Halloween never became that doing a different Halloween thing every year because that would have been great. Yeah, because it's and the eighties especially was kind of also you know not to get off too off topic, but was really like a halcyon age for anthology shows 
too, mm. you know, because I remember as a kid, as a little kid, my mother and I would always curl up on the couch. And we'd watch stuff like we'd watch shows like Monsters and Tales from the Dark Side and The Hitchhiker and Tales from the Crypt a little later on. And it was always just so exciting. And, and you know, in a in a better world, I think the Halloween franchise, if it was less of a franchise and more of an anthology series, well, I love, I love all that stuff. I used to really love Are You Afraid of the Dark, even though, like, I was an adult when that came out. I just used to, used to just watch it avidly, and I would have loved to have seen more of that. So, Night of the Demons kind of is that, but it's like the grown-up version of it. Like, it's 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 the sexy version of that, oh, which, is, which makes it even more special it's just got i don't know it's just got such a great vibe to it this film it's so it's just so much fun and you i mean even the little halloween touches like at one point early on stooge like moons some of the other kids from the car but his boxers have a little pumpkin face on them unless i hope Yes, I was, <laughs> those things were sometimes you're almost like, did part of my brain just want to will to see this? This was in the movie, right? But um, and of course, the infamous uh, Linnea Quigley, when possessed, puts a tube of lipstick in her boob. Oh, like, so incredible scene! <laughs> I I would have loved to have seen like the writing session for the script. They're like, okay, she's really vain. She likes makeup. Put it in her boobie. Yes, perfect. And and they did it. Like. <laughs> Only in the eighties, and of course, I mean, of course, now if they did it, it would be all CG and look. It looked like a shitty PS3 game, you know. This is this this the thing is like practical effects in Halloween to me are like chocolate and peanut butter. It's like the two best flavors together. So on that note, let's go to my second choice. Yes, <laughs> the films made at Halloween. was a film that I discovered because of that aforementioned blog thing which was years ago it was probably like 2013 or something and it's thankfully had like a blu-ray release since then and I think it's been on Shudder but at the time the only way you could see this film Hacko Lantern was like on some really <laughs> fucking shitty bootleg and I, and that was one of the like one of the films that I found, and, and I'm so glad I tried that failed s- series. It's trite and not as obvious as it was. Oh, I'm just going to do Halloween films for Halloween. I, I those were the young days, but I just I think this film is fucking incredible. Like I I just think this film is the best thing ever, and I will stand by that. Hacko Lantern, like even the title, you just want to say it, do you? Have you seen Hacko Lantern? Hacko Lantern. <laughs> this was 1988, this was. And it was directed by this guy called Jag Mundra, who I tried researching once, and he was like this guy from uh, India. And so outside of Hacko Lantern, like early on in his career, and he also did Open House. No, he did like a couple. He did Open House, I think, the year before this that has Argyll, Adrian Barbo 
in it and he did the jigsaw murders but like all the other stuff that he did were these like sleazy kind of director video dramas and like indian films and like so it's just like but in the middle of that he makes fucking hacker lantern and it's like <laughs> uh you and you mentioned this film to me this was like the perfect kismet because um massacre video had a sale a few months ago on their website and they had they've released Hackle Lantern on Blu-ray and DVD. Which I'm so glad. I'm just so that just makes me so happy because like more people can see Hacker Lantern now and it's just like <laughs> uh, and it's a beautiful restoration. Like it looks it looks so good. And I bought it on a whim because I'd heard about it for years and I was like, oh I definitely need to get this. But then um you know I I was like, oh, I'll watch it later, because, you know, and and Kat can test this, in our line of work, I mean, you always have the pile of movies, mm. you always have the pile of, like, work movies, like, for research and writing, and then there's, like, eventually I'll get to the movies to watch for fun, and sometimes that pile gets bigger, whatever, but when Kat had mentioned this, when we'd start playing this episode, I was like, oh, this is perfect excuse to watch it, and holy shit balls. <laughs> oh, my God. Please, if you're listening to this and have not seen it, do yourself a favor and go to Massacre Video, which are not sponsoring this. This is totally just me on my own volition here. Get it. Because this movie, there, there is not one frame that is boring. There's no filler. It is got, I mean, it's got Satanists. It's got pentagram ass tattoos. <laughs> it's got heavy metal. It's got butt rock. Uh, it's got Gina Fine, the adult film actress who I love from uh, Stephen Sadian's Party Doll Go Go series, uh, in a small part. Because I was like, "Holy shit, there is no way that's not Gina Fine," and it is. And you see her butt with a, with a pentagram tattoo on it. <laughs> on, I know. It's like, and we have to talk about. I know. I know you love this character as much as I do. I want to hear your take on the grandfather in this. Oh film. my god, the fucking granddad in this high pike. <laughs> Hi, hi, hi! Is the granddad? So he's like a satanist who also wants to fuck his own daughter. He's always like, there's these weird like flashback things in there with the with the with the main guy Tommy. He's played by Gregory Scott Cummins. He's come of age, but there's like these weird flashbacks to Tommy's mum and the grandpa High Pike like trying to get his wiener into his own daughter. And then when he's when when little Tommy has grown up into it was clearly like a thirty five year old man who's supposed to be eighteen. <laughs> old old grandpa tries to lure him back, and and he also has the porn star girlfriend, but he's still very angry about everything. <laughs> yeah, his fucking granddad drives around in a, like a flatbed truck full of pumpkins, and he's a satanist. He's got a porn star girlfriend, and he's like all shitty. Running to his bedroom, putting his Walkman on. Go, leave me alone, ma'am. It's like fucking Gregory. Like, how old are you? I worked it out once. I can't. He is not a teenager. And so the granddad's like trying to lure him back into like this Satanist thing where they ritual killings and shit. I mean, and and then it all. So they have the like Halloween party, the night of the ritual. And there's a separate Halloween party going on, uh, which is like the weirdest fucking party in the world. They got like a snake charming stripper there. <laughs> they got a guy in the car park who just goes into five minutes of bizarre stand up that's not funny. 
man starts break dancing on the floor, like spinning around on his back. Like, who was that? Probably a friend of Jack Mendra's. Like, he's supposed to be an extra. Oh, he's the worst comic. Like, he really, oh my God. <laughs> and then High Pike, the granddad, he throws the fucking devil's horns around. Like, like they're going out of style, like in every fucking scene. Kill somebody, throw the devil's horns around. <laughs> Say goodbye to his daughter after trying to fuck her. Throw the devil's horns. Give his grandson a a pumpkin, do the devil's horns. I mean, it's just like the most heavy metal film. And there's this band in this called DC Lacroix, and they do this song called The Devil's Son. So there's like this weird thing where Tommy is like all pissed off with his mum, even though he's like middle aged. And he runs up to his bedroom and he puts his Walkman on. Then he starts doing that thing that we've all done if we're into heavy metal. Starts imagining he's in the heavy metal video as part of the band. (laughs) I love. But the band are DC Lacroix and they do this song called The Devil's Son. And I thought, I'm sure this is like some sort of underground band. Like Heather all know this. Heather knows all the all the weird bands. Heather's like, <laughs> no fucking clue they are, <laughs> which makes it even better. <laughs> I know. I'm sure we're gonna get like all kinds of comments being like, I can't, I can't believe you girls don't know who DC Lacroix is. <laughs> yeah, I know. You'll get someone writing in now. Someone, I, I, don't you know them? Anyway, that song is fucking ace. High Pike is ace. This whole film, it's ace. Even the shit party is ace. Oh, my God. It and is. The, and it's kind of gory as well, because on top of that, somebody's going around killing people. So, But it's not a jallo. <laughs> Just to get that in. Everyone with the malignant thing, and I mentioned this in my recent Patreon video, which I was going to do on Eloy de la Iglesias' Jallo films, and I changed my mind because I'm so sick of people saying, is this a Jallo? So, you know, it has got like a black glove killer, but it's not a Jallo. <laughs> so, anybody listening, hack a lantern? <laughs> I just love saying it. Oh, my God. It's great, it's isn't it? Not- <laughs> And also, I have to say, High Pike, when he's playing the yo- the younger version of the grandfather, and he's got that amazing black wig, and I swear yes! to God, and he's got all of these turquoise, he's got like the best turquoise jewelry and rings. He totally looks like kind of like a middle-aged Alan Vega from the band Suicide. And, and it's like he's he's got so much rock and roll authority in this role. He's and he sounds Kate like he sounds like a weird, he's almost got like a Cajun accent, but also but in that kind of way, like there was that '90s uh, computer game, Gabriel Knight, Sons of the Father, where and actually Tim Curry voiced Gabriel Knight, and he's do it's Tim Curry doing a New Orleans accent. High Pike kind of sounds like that. Like there's something off about it, but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's over the shop. It's poor terrorized daughter. Oh, just so great though, isn't it? We all need a, a satanic grandpa like high pike on halloween i'm so talking of, of talking of tim curry though <laughs> yes oh is that a segue it I is a segue it growing up isn't easy all coming together isn't it very organically the whole universe of cat and heather is knitted <laughs> that's right we are the queens of halloween and 
speaking of Halloween, The Worst Witch, the 1986 version. I know there's like newer versions, but the 1986 Worst Witch is my next pick. This film, if you want to peek into my psychology as a little girl, this film's pretty close because that was all I wanted. I wanted to learn witchcraft and marry Tim Curry dressed as a wizard wearing a little bat as a tie i mean um <laughs> come on i mean that's uh, naturally <laughs> it's this film is so cute um and it's got feruza balk and a very young feruza balk who i mean even as a little girl she she's one of the few kid balk oh my god she's one of the few kid actors you always like seeing because i'm with you most 90 i'd say 98 percent of kids in horror movies or even like kids horror movies 98 percent of them i'm just like oh god these shitters oh they're the yeah, worst she totally wasn't that was she wasn't no. this the same year she did return to oz which it, I, it, I believe it is now. if it's not they're pretty pretty close they're pretty neck and neck um and this film would always come on cable uh, and on month of October when I was little, and I always associate it with um because like our um I don't know if they if the if the UK does like if if the schools do book fairs, but um like there'd be these book fairs uh and they'd always be kind of around the fall and so I'd always look at like these catalogs with like that were promoting like Halloween books and Halloween sticker books and and I always wanted them but we were like really poor so it was just kind of like wishful you know <laughs> thinking but I always associate that with this movie and just um oh my god it's weird that you're saying this because the worst witch not so much this film but the books when I was a when I was a kid a little bit before the film came out, I was a little bit too, I was like, I think 12 when the film came out. So I sort of moved on by then to uh, probably David Bowie's cod piece, if, if I remember <laughs> rightly. <laughs> and the I, Company of Wolves around yes. that time. But those books were my everything when I was a kid because they came out the year I was born in 74. And I was just such a big reader when I was a kid. Um, and they didn't have book fairs, but our school had like what they called a bookshop, which was basically a cupboard. But every month they would send out these catalogues of books. And like you, Heather, we could like never afford them. And they'd hand out these catalogues. And I would look at them and look at the worst witch, but like the worst witch books were the books that I really, really wanted. Um, and then I managed to get a couple and Cat Weasel, I think I had some birthday money. And so it's weird you saying that because that was like my introduction. And it was the same thing, you know, they, we had like the Megan Mog books as well. Do you remember those? I don't know. They were I... for like really young kids, but they were like a witch, a witch and a cat. And oh. I just remember the whole, they did like a whole witch spread with like the worst witch and Megan Mog. And they had Cat Weasel in there, which was like a tie-in to a TV show that was on about a medieval wizard who appears in like, the 70s doing <laughs> <I mean>, electricery <laughs> and he thinks everything is magic and and that I would just cover that little magazine so when I got my own like copies of the worst witch I was just like I'd, it was like what you wanted wasn't it it's okay well what we wanted oh it's totally what we wanted and especially because like 
Farusa Bulk's character is so she's so relatable because she's kind of just she's a sweet like little badass kid but she's kind of just viewed as a fuck up and she's having to deal with like being bullied by kind of the the little blonde you know sort of snooty girls and and you know she's such a great protagonist like you really root for her and you know when I you know when you're a little kid you relate to her because most of us were you know misfits we weren't the you know the 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 blonde haired sort of perfect you know little moneyed <laughs> little moneyed honeys you know and uh, you just love her and the cast is so good like you have Diana Rigg oh my god yeah <clears throat> so I did There's... a video essay on Diana Rigg recently for um, the Assassination Bureau which imprinted and um, not to spam myself but no <laughs> the reason I'm bringing this up is I concentrated on her films and I realised that because Diana Rigg was just such a like omnipotent presence when I was growing up and then she became Dame Diana, you know, because she... But I was... I, co- I covered some of her films in that video essay and realised she didn't actually do that many feature films but she did so much in, like, television. I can't remember if this one was actually made for TV. I think it was made for TV and shown on TV because I remember... And it's weird, another case of synergy, that um, there's a series here called Orvida Zane Pet that was really big in the 80s and, like, a lot of us were watching it. And um, and the, one, the, the bad witch is the other one. I can't remember her name. Plays the wife of one of the guys in this Orvida Zane Pet. And she's, oh. like, this total, like... She, like he goes away he's like a builder and she's away sleeping around with other men and you know he's a shit husband and everything so it was weird because they were on around the same time <laughs> and everyone at school was like into the worst witch but also everyone at school was into our design pet and I, i'm blanking on her name bless her i could see her face like it's right in front of me but i can't think of the name <laughs> she does have a either. kind of witchy face to be honest it's like a like a sort of pointy, <laughs> not not to be mean to her, but she has like that kind of, that kind of face, I guess. Very striking profile. And, but I'm glad you mentioned this because we have to mention Miss Charlotte Ray, who, uh, when this, when I was, you know, when we were seeing this film as kids, Charlotte Ray in the States was Mrs. Garrett on Facts of Life, that which was a huge show. And so it was, it was so cool as a little kid to see her. I was like, oh, wow, Mrs. Garrett's playing like dual roles. You know? And um, I love her as the evil twin sister, Agatha, who's got like total punk rock hair. She's got like pink and blue hair. And she's inexplicably really Southern. Like her sister is just like normal, just like, oh, here at the Academy. You know, she's very respectful. And Agatha's like drawling. She's just like, oh, these witches or something. I can't even do it. <laughs> but and she's, she is chewing the scenery. Like Al Pacino would bend to his knees and an absolute reverie of the scenery that Charlotte Ray's Agatha choose and she has her own musical number it's it's just it's so bonkers i love I it i remembered her name now sorry <laughs> it's <laughs> elliot it's bloody yeah. elliot she was also in like she turned up in coronation street and she's she worked with mike lee as well oh wow she was never like a massive massive present but seeing Aussie's 
What? And she was also in, I don't know if you know, Adrian Mole. Hmm, I don't think uh, it did. That was like another big book at the time, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. And she was in that as well, like the TV series of that. So she, she's, it was just fucking fabulous to see her again, like turn up in this. Just, oh. and the whole cast is really good. It's got that like whole kind of weird sort of British TV, but we've got all these like potential BAFTA winners working for us. <laughs> the whole British scene's like that. You had like, because they all had to work it like wasn't like hollywood it's such a, like a tiny scene that you get people like diana like dame diana you do like popular television and then she'd go and do shakespeare on the stage or some of the really highbrow highly acclaimed theater she came out of royal shakespeare and then she'd do like a weird independent film and tim curry you know, did a lot of TV at the start of his career because I guess jobbing actors got a job, ain't they? And it's not like a big... So you get like essentially like a little kid's sort of made-for-TV movie but it's got this fucking <laughs> incredible cast to it. Uh, well, in this movie, this and uh, Clue were the two sort of roots of my lifelong Tim Curry love, because uh, Tim Curry is the greatest. I think we can all agree on that. And mm. he is just, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned David Boyce copies, because probably early the three the, the the hydra of yeah. early sexual awakening for a lot of us weird girls in the 80s is Tim Curry. David Boy's Codpiece. Um, and David Boy's Codpiece. I can't remember what the third one. Oh, Bell, well, Bell Lugosi for me. But it, it's also, I mean, that Codpiece is so huge. It deserves like two. I it's actually like. been over this episode now as well, hasn't it? It's, it's the, the bulge. It's, it's there. Like, get back, David Boy's Codpiece. That's for another episode. <laughs> we totally have to do an episode on that, not to go on too much of a transgression, but I saw somebody write about, this is a bit PD, and it's like, I was 12 when that came out, and I would have totally thrown that fucking kid down the stairs to go off with the Goblin King. So oh, just hell yes. I, I used Bowie. to... <laughs> oh, my God. I used to joke that the reason my mother never had other kids was she probably saw little me watching Labyrinth and recognized the fact that I was just... Because I remember actively being like, well, her parents can have another kid. Like, <laughs> come on. like it's, She gets to be the Goblin Queen. She gets to have this badass dress, and David Boy is like, oh, my God, of course. He basically I mean, has his whole cock out for the entire film. <laughs> Yes. It, can you it's, it's again it's again it's cockerinth it's not labyrinth it's cockerinth it's all yes the puppets are great oh god we're getting off though we, we probably well, to go back to the worst witch though because we were yes. talking about i mentioned this on when i did the just did saxana with mike and gil on the projection booth which is like the czech version of the worst witch from a little bit before the worst witch and I was saying now, you know, it was all about the worst witch. But, you know, and then and then Harry Potter. See, my kids were all Harry Potter. Like, as a big Harry Potter. We had to see all the Harry Potter films. And I kind of, the first couple were great. And then I tuned out after, like, I don't know, Dumbledore. What the fucking, I don't know. But I just, it just got too much. <laughs> Those sniff things, the Death Eaters or whatever, I 
that that was like the end for me with Harry Potter. But the thing about Harry Potter is those Harry Potter kids were fucking square. They used to get on my nerves. That especially the one with the scruffy hair, Hermione, <laughs> was such a little fucking ass licking little shit. I did my homework. See, I was always Team Mildred Hebble. Sorry, Heather. <laughs> oh, my God. They had to be so perfect, didn't they? They were just so, like, Ron fucking Weasley, piss off. I was, what are they called, in Snape's team. Oh, hell yeah. Mal- <laughs> Jay, what's his name? Malfoy. Uh, uh, but, but but whereas the worst witch, you know, she is human like she's not very good and she fucks the spouse up and you know she's the kid that gets picked on she's such she's so much more relatable uh, everyone's i'd see all these people oh, i just related so much to harry yeah okay he was like the orphan sort of outcast kid okay but he was a goody good little square little fuck <laughs> what business of you relating to a bunch of fucking busy bodies you gooders <laughs> Oh my you know God. what I mean, though? First thing Mildred does when she gets into a fight is tries to turn someone into a frog. Now, that is a girl that's going to go far. Absolutely. Well, and it's even better because instead of a frog, it, she turns her into a hog. But I think that's even better than turning her into a frog. And honestly, she's a little more successful than when Kenneth Anger tried to turn Bobby Beausoleil into <laughs> <laughs> We still have to do that bloody Kenneth Anger episode. I know. We have to read so we can have that whole story <laughs> yes um oh anybody listening this is legit kenneth anger at one point apparently well i should say allegedly cast a spell to turn bobby Beausoleil, who who was already in prison for the record life lifetime in prison into a, into a toad <laughs> oh he's fucking fabulous though somebody told me a few years ago they they've been to the archive where gloria swanson's letters are Mm-hmm. I call it private letters. So I'd been going through the inventory going, oh, my God, this is amazing. I wish I could see this. And somebody said to me, oh, yeah, I, 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 it might have, I can't remember who that was now anyway. And somebody said, I think it might have been Kevin Heffernan, our mutual friend. Oh, but apparently, because she was all kind of healthy eating and anti-sugar and stuff, Kenneth Anger sent her a coffin full of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> After she tried to sue him for Hollywood Babylon. <laughs> oh, fucking love. Okay, just add that to reason 768 why we love Kenneth Anger. Even though we love Gloria Swanson. No, we love as Gloria well. Swanson of as course. well. Fucking hell, Kenneth. Oh. One. He, he, he should have been in Hacker Lantern. <laughs> oh, God. Also. That granddad has got a bit of a Kenneth Anger about him, hasn't oh, he? Oh, holy shit. Anyone who pisses him off, he's just like, I'm going to put the devil's horns on you. Well, that's actually, yeah. I mean, you just could put him right next to Kenneth and, uh, Invocation of my demon brother with the eyeliner. <laughs> DC Lacroix. D- uh, DC Lacroix. DC Lacroix sounds like uh, an underground filmmaker that would have worked alongside Kenneth Anger. That does I not sound like a middle man. That's how you pronounce it, by the way. That's my pronunciation, which could be totally wrong. But <laughs> that's what it looks like. I'm, again, I'm sure somebody's going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe you girls don't know how to pronounce DC Lacroix. Shouldn't you send me like an A? 10 pages of A4 telling me what was an amazing band they were like that time I said I didn't know Thor was <laughs> I do love Thor <laughs> he was like nothing here I know well he wasn't hardly anything here either which is sad but true um 
people just anyway <laughs> yes but the worst switch is lovely but i believe your next pick has a tie to this film oh it does now now i'm sure there'll be people i love how like we totally did not like uh compare our list or whatever it was just totally and there's a lot of synergy on the list but i also love because i guess a lot of people just expect we do like euro cult films or some like weird thing from the 70s but we do that all the time so i love that like we've got a lot some newer films on this and we've got like Nothing really post, apart from Mad Monster Party, everything else is like 80s and post. So mm-hmm. my next choice is The Craft, which I'm sure some people will be like, oh, fuck off, cat! I hate this film. Now, I was 22 when this film came out, so I was a little bit older than the, like, demographic, but I, I fucking love it. I absolutely love this film, and the reason I loved it although some people see this as an annoyance is i've been a practicing pagan since like my teens so since like the like 88 maybe 87 88 so way before the craft um but it was it wasn't trendy you know it was basically a sort of new age hippies that were into it and, and nobody else and the craft came out and you had that whole hot topic witch trend and the charm charmed i fucking love charmed as well i've been watching it again on amazon prime recently just binging the whole thing and as corny as it is i adore charmed but and people like oh my god that's so cringy the hot topic witches and blah 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 now but i always seen that as a brilliant thing because when it made witchcraft mainstream and for every teen girl, like for every, say, 25 teen girls that started messing around with a Ouija board or buying spellcraft stuff, one of those got into, uh, like, came over to the dark side seriously and is still here. And so somehow you had, like, one of the most popular teen films of 1996, this huge fucking hit. It made, like, 55 million at the box office. Um, infiltrated culture and made witchcraft cool in in a way that you know cra- the charmed made witchcraft cool and I just have always found this an incredible thing and I think there's something really subversive about that people te- there's this like edge lordy I'm going to slag off the craft because that was a popular film and it made loads of money and and you know it was mainstream and therefore I'm too edgy for this I'm going to slag it off, but but to me it was it was just such a fucking subversive film because you know it brought so many young women over to witchcraft and sort of was part of a whole ch- change in the nineties because if you think about witchcraft, what like when it becomes more mainstream, like traditionally women have been offered the church or fuck all unless they happen to be some weird like victorian middle-class occultists say and within the church within the bible like women are are oppressed and you know it's always eve's fault and all this but yet witchcraft and paganism offers women power it offers them choice and opportunities and power we're not just talking about magical power in that respect, but just this idea of being valued, a spiritual system within which 
femininity and womanhood isn't just valued, it's fucking worshipped. So it's like, I, I'm going to argue that the craft, in its own quiet way, not that it was a quiet film because it was a massive blockbuster, <laughs> but in its own quiet way, kind of subverted an entire generation of teen girls. And for that, I will always love it. I will always love it because Perusa Bulk is just fucking incredible in this. And the class themes you've got, Bulk's character is like white trash and, you know, the soundtrack and the way that they deal with date rapists and just, uh, this film is fucking amazing. I'm so glad you brought all of this up because I love the craft and I I was in my late teens when it came out and the whole, I love the phrase Hot Topic Goth witch like hot topic goth witch because that was totally a, a lot of people forget it's easy again to kind of for some folks to try and gatekeep and be like oh blah 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 but a lot of people forget there's a huge most people don't live in in big cities most people don't have access to sort of like anything esoteric whether it's spirituality or art or whatever especially like in the pre kind of big internet days um which internet did exist when the craft came out but not not everybody had access to it it wasn't like what it is now and like seeing a film like the craft it was like it was so cool it's like i you you kind of wanted to you hang out with Bruce Bolt and, and nancy and kind of be her in some ways obviously maybe not to like we such all an wanted extreme... to be nancy nobody uh, wanted to be fucking what's her name sarah the white witch it's oh just... I, for, I didn't remember her name <laughs> yeah, it, i'm, I'm just like penny what... played her yeah, Sarah, the middle class sort of privilege. That's the only problem I've got with that film, but I kind of live with it. Is she's like the middle class privilege sort of goody goody, and and Nancy is like she lives in a trailer. She's come from this like terrible background with a mother and a mother's a stepfather's violent, and then you've got Neve Campbell as Bonnie, who is like been scarred, so she's like really bullied. And you also got Rachel True's Rochelle, who is the black girl, and they're, they're and both Bonnie and Rochelle were picked on by the horrible blonde. So it's the worst witch again, but updated to sort of nineties, sort of teen high school situation. And when they get powers, when they evoke imaginal magic powers, they start using them for revenge. And of course. Sarah is like a bit of a goody goody, and she's like, Kim, hey, no, you shouldn't do that. Oh, the law of free. That's always pissed me off about the Wiccans, though. It is very true to form for Wiccanism, but the Wiccans have always got on my tits because with their rule of three and their fucking Wiccan read, they, they push it too far. <laughs> Sorry. No, no you go on too much of a side note, but you start with Wiccan and you end up somewhere else, I guess, is the, <laughs> is the moral of this story. It, um, I do kind of love the sort of weird deliciousness of like, cause I, I mean, I'm from this, I'm from the American South, which is like the Bible Belt. And I'm sure there are a lot of like conservative families that would probably be like, oh my God, don't let what, don't let your kids watch things like the worst witch or the craft cause they'll become pagans. And it's like, yeah, it, it's true. Some of us did. <laughs> Some of us totally became pagans, but not just because of these, those films, of course. But it did. It was a boot up the ass to culture. And like in the whole, not to get into the whole big thing, but if you look at conceptions of the witch, you've got the fairy tale hag and crondom and all that. 
And very few films did it differently. There were like Balbuck and Candle and A Married a Witch Bewitched were early on. But they were like romantic comedies, like within horror, I guess. George mm. Romero did something different with Season of the Witch. But it was really like the Witches of Eastwick that started to show this turn in the witch and then you get the craft where you know and you get things like charmed where you've got young women who are able to be empowered through these like magical powers and the the other good thing about like you've got like young girls calling the fucking quarters man it's just like (laughs) (laughs) because the actual ritual in there is like spot on so it's like really well researched well, and and Perusa Bulk in this film, and I love the, the fact that you mentioned the class thing too, because that was the other thing is she was both aspirational and relatable. Because it's like I grew up, you know, kind of poor working class. A lot of my I had friends that were kind of that grew up like Nancy uh, did, and and also when she starts to really kind of go off the rails, she. I don't think I've ever seen any other actor bring, speaking of Tim Curry, like big Tim Curry energy. Cause she's mm. almost like Frankenfurter. Like she's like, she's got that just big kind of scary, but very sexy, like power, you know, about her and just that magnetic presence. Like I really. She is. She's incredible. She is absolutely incredible. I think if the film, had been made without like with anyone else it wouldn't have worked it's all down to nancy i think and we all wanted to really be nancy she was the coolest one even though she loses her shit we all wanted to be nancy and yeah it's just like hooray for the hot topic witches you do meet these like boorish pagans who were like i'm a 267th generation large <laughs> druid and who are these women coming in here? They're like the the fucking tubs and what's his name in League of Gentlemen. We'll have no, what's all this shouting here? This is a local witchcraft for local people. It's like, fuck off. Whatever gets somebody in, if it's a Slayer album or if it's watching the craft, so fucking be it. Kids need to be basically subverted and corrupted and if they can sneak it in in a mainstream horror team horror mm. film good good because yeah. there's going to be a lot of art and there was like the craft was fucking massive at the time oh it was huge you couldn't escape it and in the best of ways and and you know the thing a lot of people don't i think the thing that truly scares a lot of people about uh generate yeah any sort of generation getting this kind of um art in their lives it's not so much about them becoming witches or pagans or whatever it's more like oh my god my kid's gonna question everything we've taught them we're gonna they're gonna question the church they're gonna question their parents and the thing is like well you should encourage your kids to question everything everybody should be encouraged to question everything because that's healthy and that's how you learn and it's how you grow and you know and god damn it i miss hot topic when it was for goth witches now they have like anime (laughs) Anime's fine, but it's not even like witchy anime, you know. No. Uh, that's a whole other rant. I think they had Justin Bieber. They had a Justin Bieber album in our local Hot Topic. I'm like, I used to get my little Cleopatra Records goth comps at fucking Hot Topic. Bring back Cleopatra Records and Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Let's See, get on to your next one then, which is a little bit of a change in tone. But it actually, it is a change in tone, but it does have that sort of goth punk 
connection. Mm, actually, yes, it's all. <laughs> oh, the soundtrack alone is just, just perfect. But the film is perfect too. And I am, of course, talking about Dan O'Bannon's 1985 film, Return of the Living Dead. In the dark of the night, something strange is going on. Which is like possibly one of the most iconic films of, of the 80s. And we're back to Linnea Quigley again. All roads lead back to Linnea. What can I say? Oh, panties. <laughs> <laughs> Linnea Quigley's panties. Which, by the way, Kat and I will be uh, having our album uploaded shortly on SoundCloud for. So all you Linnea Quigley panties fans. Uh, we're looking for thing we're like, called Big Tim Carry Energy. <laughs> uh, what, uh, we'll be looking for some roadies shortly for our world tour. Jared uh, Cock. Jared <laughs> Codfee. <Jared's> <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, okay. AKA we've got, we basically have armadillos in our trousers. <laughs> But, but on Return of the Living Dead, this was another film for me, much like Night of the Demons, that, like, there's some films that there's something about discovering them as a teenager that is, like, the perfect synergy. And that film, this film was that for me, both, uh, both as a film, like, because I think this is probably one of the greatest examples of comedy mixed in with horror pulled off perfectly or pretty damn near perfect because the you know the humor that's in it is hilarious and it lands but there are moments that are generally kind of disturbing and the atmosphere is just so so brilliantly mixed up in the cast like holy shit i mean this was the beginning of now my clue gulliger which if you know everybody must worship at the altar of clue gulliger because he is the man. and But James Karen, Don Calfa, of course, Linnea. Um, it also has, like, if I was a dude, there's a character called Suicide, who's this totally humorless punk, and I love him so much, because he's so angry. Like, he's literally, like, he just starts, like, crabbing, like, oh, you people, oh, Suicide, you're so spooky. Fuck you! Like, he's so angry. <laughs> I love him so much. You think this is a costume? It's a way of life! Like, oh my gosh. It's just... And the soundtrack, like, this... this. Was oh another... my god, the fucking soundtrack on this is, like, this was when I actually saw as a teen... And like Hacko Lantern, which I just wished I'd seen as a team. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but but you know, whereas that had DC the car, this had like the fucking damned. Like I was a massive damned fan when this came out as well. The cramps, oh my god, 45 uh, Grave. It's, it's so it's yeah. like it's like the dream soundtrack. It's like the fucking this thing was like the coolest of the cool when it came out. Oh man. I, I remember like getting the soundtrack. And it was just like every single song, like those bands, you get Rocky Erickson, you even get kind of like sort of more obscure bands like the Jet Blackberries, um, though they're a really underrated band. They're very good. Uh, and, and just and it's and then again, that's another kind of like Night of Demons where so many films that had like punk or goth characters always got the music part of it wrong. Like they would have people that looked like they should be listening to Christian Death, but they're dancing to like bang tango or some shit like that 
uh, this one they got it right it's like no these punks would totally be listening to the damned and 45 grave you know like it was and and they and they acted they were kind of like a little bit more accurate the only weird thing about this group is freddie's girlfriend tina actually there's two things because freddie's wearing a, a t-shirt with visage on it which was like steve strange's band with mid-year <laughs> oh my god yeah. and i love i love visage and i love steve strange but freddie would not he would get his ass kicked probably by some, in real life by some of these other characters for that but um <clears throat> but like tina's a total valley girl so it's kind of like almost like a romeo juliet thing i guess but we have but trash our beloved linnea as trash again sarcastic again random nudity she does a infamous sort of strip dance at a graveyard uh just wonderful she's just that that was one of the most i think iconic moments of my teen years was (laughs) that graveyard scene i know what's the thing about being like being a teenager especially you know in that era is like getting a movie where you have gore and comedy and titties is like they that's don't like do that anymore do they what's wrong with them well they're they probably don't seem to do that anymore they're kind of they grow up completely jaded and like blase about everything but that mid-80s era where you just suddenly have this explosion of and i know we we probably talked about this on our spinal tap episode where heavy metal for like just this small microcosm was kind of in the mainstream and horror was kind of in the mainstream and you had these films like Return of the Living Dead with incredible soundtracks and you know but but kids today but this stuff at the time was just like oh my fucking god this is incredible nowadays you'd be like oh what is this (laughs) Uh, I hope I hope not I mean the thing is like not to sound like an old fogey but like we you know our era we had to work hard for nudity like we didn't have the internet like you really had to work hard and you didn't get it all in the uk half the films i saw were cut (laughs) oh god we'll see there's that and like in the u.s if you if you had only basic cable like it was kind of a similar thing because like there were a lot of movies i'd watch on um this channel usa and they had a show up all night um and a lot of them had Linnea in them, but I never saw the uncut versions till years later. Right? Like Slime Bowl Babes in the... Was it Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowl Arena? Oh, I love that film. I so do too. But I think it's... She was in some weird shit in the end. Oh, and she's so there. good. And I just love like her line delivery, especially like, do you ever fantasize about being killed? I'm <laughs> 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 just like... The guy next to her is like, I try not to think about dying too much. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and uh, oh my gosh. And the and just yeah, some I love these lines. Like the whole thing where they're trying to figure out how to kill a zombie and like uh, Clue Gulliger, like his character Bert remembers like, oh, and Night of the Living Dead. That's the other thing. You we were talking about meta. You'd mentioned the whole meta thing earlier. Return of the Living Dead did that too. And because they they're literally talking about Night of the Living Dead, being like, you know, oh, we got to get him in the head, got to hit him in the brain, and it doesn't work. And <laughs> it's just like oh, it's the- amazing. It's another one of those. I I love that whole kind of slapstick, uh, splatstick era, like post to Evil Dead, because I don't know. It was just like this amazing pocket of like ingenuity and real like fantasy. But ba- I've said this before. I. 
I find the Romero zombie films really fucking interesting. And I love George Romero, but I feel like zombies as a whole became really fucking derivative, you know, especially by the time we got to The Walking Dead. And then it was like every other film was like that stock staple uh, zombie that Romero created. And the original Romero films were incredible, but anything outside of that. So I've always said, like, I much prefer the vampire to the zombie because I didn't feel like the zombies were that that sort of innovative because a lot of them rip Romero off too much. But thinking about it, you know, I'm totally wrong because one, I absolutely love the way the Italians and the Spanish did zombies because they were always completely out there. And two, all the all the these sort of weird 80s films they would like spookies is kind of a zombie film the evil dead is a zombie film return of the living dead is a zombie film but they bring something completely all of them bring like a completely different energy to it even like della more della morte della more is a zombie film it was like all of a sudden it people were really taking advantage of just the idea of the living dead to just do really interesting things with it. And then it kind of st- it stopped and it went back to that staple trope of people shuffling around, you know, whereas in the 80s you had like Nightmare City with people like action zombies. <laughs> so much going on. And I really missed that era in a way. I was talking well, recently about how I hate nostalgia, but but obviously I have my own nostalgia and just the whole excitement from it. You know, this is one of the films that did make zombies cool. I'll give it that. Oh, well, and, and the thing too is I think we're a lot of zombie, and I'm, I'm, and I know I've, I'm friends with people that love The Walking Dead. Have I, I've never watched it. Oh, so- it's a fucking soap opera. <laughs> with a lot What's of grey makeup in it. Well, that's the thing. I'm just so burned out Sorry. because no, no, you're right. Because the the problem with the way a lot of people approach zombies as like a supernatural creature, it's ba- they're basically almost sort of just like they become like almost automatons. Like there's not really anything else to them but just the simple act of killing. That's probably one of the reasons why I never got into the Friday the Thirteenth series that much because um, I just never found Jason that compelling of a, of a creature. Obviously, a lot of people do, and that's cool. But um, but like the zombie films that work really great, I, you're right. It's either they either work or usually due to a combination of both, where the zombie idea is done in a way that is so kind of out of bounds, or the humans around them are so interesting. Because like Return of the Living Dead, yeah, the zombies you've got, but you've got the humans here are amazing, but you've also got in the trash catch. So you've got like the kind of anti-establishment punk thing as well, and this was. You know, when did this come out? Two years after Suburbia as well. And it's a total punk rock film. But in the character of Trash, you've also got like this weird, super weird, almost necrophilia line in it, which is incredible. And she actually brings sex into the zombie film. Because the zombie genre overall, outside to like remove things like you know, burial ground and the weird incest. <laughs> um, remove that, but just say standard zombies and are sexless as a genre. They are largely about action and survival. But the the character of Trash from the minute that you see her, it, she just has this such this 
libidinal energy and also this rebellion of punk, but this really perverse side to her. I think that's why this has always remained one of my favourite ones from the era, just because and I, every time I go back to it, I, I'm always astounded by that performance by Linnea. Uh, she's she's i mean there's a reason why she's a horror icon and you just have to watch this movie it's like if anybody's ever heard of her watch return of the living dead and you will instantly be not only a fan of linnea quigley the actress but you'll also become a new musical fan of linnea quigley's panties the the <laughs> duo the musical duo of myself and cat <laughs> coming 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 to a band camp <laughs> link near you so. <laughs> so before we get to the top pick because incidentally we picked the same film yes uh, we just r- ran it with my last sort of number four well these aren't in any particular i don't like ranking things but my last solo pick is the house of the devil which is another kind of new film but i watched this again the other day and i realized because i my went through my facebook memories that i tend to watch this around the same time of year every year and it's become like this unofficial tradition to mark autumn is to watch the house of the devil by ty west i just this is a film from 2009 so much later one but this is like a film where where nothing happens and yet simultaneously everything happens and i don't know how many times i've seen it but and basically you've got this i'll just go over the plot but i'm sure most people have seen it samantha hughes she is this hard up college girl who wants to rent a rent a room from d wallace (laughs) the cameo Jocelyn Donahue plays Samantha and so she's hard up and she goes for this babysitting job and she takes this babysitting job and it's Tom Noonan and Mary Warrenov gets the house it's all very suspicious but most of the film is Samantha sort of knocking around this house like she gets there and Tom Noonan's character says actually it's not a kid it's our elderly mother and she's upstairs she won't bother you but so, like, I'd say nine-tenths of the film are Samantha within this sort of isolated gothic mansion where she's just getting freaked out by certain things and she's wandering around, she's bored, and this probably doesn't sound very interesting, but it's riveting. And I've seen it so many times now, and it's still riveting. I was watching it the other day with my son. He'd seen it for the first time, and he was riveted. Trying to figure out how the fuck Ty West did this. Like, what? what is it? Like, I was I was examining the shots. And he just uses a lot of slow pans in and slow, very, very slow close-ups and stuff like that. But nothing particularly remarkable about it that I could put my finger on. But yet, it's like, there's some kind of black magic in this fucking film, I'm telling you. Also produced by Larry Fessenden, who, who is just a legend. But just, it's so, all Tom, on set in the 80s as well. So, of course, this is the, sort of <laughs> the decade we've been talking about. But it's so 80s in just a very natural way, not in a 
turn it up to 11 fluorescent leg warmers homage sort of thing it's just you know it's shot on on the same film stock and it has these very autumnal colors and it's just so gorgeous like the atmosphere you can literally smell the leaf the the crispy leaves and everything is just just so beautiful and i i looked at what's ty west doing these days directing television like what the fuck is going on man i i have to confess i have not seen this movie and you'd love it it is, is a total Heather Heather film. Just don't read what the what the ending is. Shot on sixteen millimeter. It's all the grain. It's it's just it's just incredible though. It's like gothic haunted house. It's satanic panic. So it sort of sets itself up at the beginning. The in the eighties, that people believed in blah 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 that girls go missing, whatever, um, and so. It's got like satanic panic in it, but don't read any further part. But but it's just it's autumn. It's just the whole thing is Halloweeny autumn. I don't think it's it's not set at Halloween. It's set at, uh, during an eclipse. There's like an eclipse going on, but it's just oh my god, this film is so fucking beautiful. Well, and and see, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, why haven't I seen this? Because this totally does sound at my alley, right down to having, I fucking love Tom Noonan and Mary Warnock. And, you know, and, and even though he's kind of a balding, <clears throat> like playing this sort of balding elderly man with a stick in it, he's fucking hot. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say Mr. Ullman, his character has a, has a twinkle in this that I find kind of, you know, gives me a little flutter. <laughs> would, you, would, you call him, would, would you call him a gilf? Uh, a grandpa he's a total <laughs> fucking tom no well i've said it now tom tom noonan is a gilf as mr Olman. there's no shame in the gilf game okay anybody who's seen motel hell and rory calhoun hello come on <laughs> you know you know a hot old man when you see one people <laughs> it's just got the twinkle going on in here and something about him is just very perverse as well and you kind of know that, you know, he'd be very attentive to you as long as you sort of <laughs> got in with this weirdness. Greta Gerwig, you know, who, like, big indie actress who then went on to direct is in this as well. And um, and what's his name? Uh, God, A.J. Bowen. But Ty West, I think he, I think a lot of people were put off because Ty West became like the next big thing in horror in the like 2010s. And then you got again all the kind of edgy people saying, oh, yeah, they're like kicking back. Uh, it's like the guy who made Midsummer at the moment, you know, people just immediately rejecting him. But House of the Devil is fucking perfect. And I've seen it so many times now. And I just naturally come back to it every autumn. We took the dog out for a walk and we've had like a long heat wave and all of a sudden it was all terminal in the park. Like the leaves are drying out. It was crispy. First thing I did when I came in was put House of the Devil on just instinctively and the magic just doesn't go. So it's like if you try and tell people about, well, it's like this girl in this house, like barely anything happens, but you know, same thing in the spiral staircase. Same thing in I don't know <laughs> other <laughs> films with, but the whole performance as well. Just on one person, she's like in almost every frame, and it's like the fuck does he do this? Like how the fuck does he make this so compelling? 
um, without like resorting to really obvious camera tricks, which he doesn't. It's very subtle. And so I I can't wait for you to see this. I'm actually really excited for you to oh see this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm literally probably going to buy it when we get to recording. <laughs> like, you have sold me. I'm already going to make a prediction that by the end of the year, Kat and I will probably be writing like slash fiction about the tom noonan character oh my god the twinkle he's got the fucking (laughs) twinkle going on i'm telling you (laughs) that'll be one of our many many side adventures our side business adventures our our saucy (laughs) our saucy fiction about (laughs) ending up then uh talking of newer films this this came out two years before the house of the devil and if you want to read more after you finish this conversation, Heather did a wonderful piece for us on it over at Diabolique magazine, but treat our treat. I love this film more than probably most people love their own family. <laughs> I, this film, I serious. I, I, if there, yeah, there's some films you love so much that you want to like, crawl into them like you just love that universe and everything about it and trick-or-treat is that like it just you know you're talking about like the autumnal colors with house of the devil like this film is like autumn at its peak it's at halloween at its peak like i if there was a town that legit celebrated halloween like the town in this movie i would move to it like right now i'd be trying to budget and be like okay i must make this happen um it's so it's just so visually perfect and it's got cool little twists in it it's like if you're kind of a fan of that anthology type storytelling that like we are i think you'll love it and the cast i mean especially dylan baker is the absolute ace in the deck as the principal who is is very is very faithful to halloween Mm, maybe too faithful (laughs) this is one of the handful of films that i saw and then immediately i think i downloaded this one i was a bit naughty because there was this whole thing about it was getting released and then it wasn't getting released like there was this like whole thing that that went on beforehand and and it didn't get like a big theatrical thing so i think i was i i could not wait because i'd heard about this film and and so i downloaded it I'm a bit naughty but this is one of the few <laughs> films that i watched in fact, there's probably no, there's there's probably one of the film that I've done this with interview with the vampire, watched it and then immediately started watching it again. Um, and because I was so fucking so blown away by it that I just immediately wanted to start watching it again, and that is really rare for me. It's like you said, it's perfect. Just the atmosphere, but the whole anthology thing of it and the the idea of this principle, he's kind of don't want to give anything away about it because it is super twisty, turny, and it takes all the obvious tropes and it stands them on their head. My favorite segment is the Anna Paquin segment, which I which is like an Angela Carter-esque twist on Red Riding Hood. Oh totally. And it just the whole thing that the it's just such a beautiful fantasy and a gorgeous love letter to Halloween. And I just like, aren't they making another one of these? They're supposed to be making it. See, I don't know if anything could ever live up to Trick or Treat. It really is a perfect... I'd give this a 10. I give very few films a 10. 
Oh my gosh, same. And it's so funny that that was your experience too with having to rewatch it because um, when this film first came out, a friend of mine um, had recommended it to me, but he had recommended some really bad shit to me. So I kind of put it <laughs> off because I was like, okay. And then like I was at my parents' house and they threw it on and I was riveted. And as soon as I got home that night, I watched it again. Like I had to watch it again. Like I had to show my husband Then I had to watch it again by myself. And I, I just, it, it's, I love it. It's funny. Cause I've known people that don't like it. And I, I really, I mean, yeah, we is, don't, who are those people? <laughs> what is wrong with you people? How can you not like this film? It is so, it is so perfect in, in every way. It's like a, a, like a satire but also a huge celebration of halloween is a season and the oh, whole he, pumpkin head thing is why he got the like little pumpkin head thing with his lollies little and, sam oh, oh he's so cute oh, I, I missed out i nearly bought the sideshow figure i never buy figures but i i put in a pre-order for the figure that sideshow did and i was broke at the time though and when it finally came in i didn't have the money so i lost mine so I never got one. They're like collector's items now. They sell for loads. So I'm really always been really sad about that. That was the only time I like rushed out to buy fucking merchandise. <laughs> oh, trick or treat is so good for that. Like I, yeah, I'm. I love it. I just I have a little Sam figure in my office that my that my mother bought me because she knows I'm a huge trick or treat just nut. And it's just, it's, it makes me happy. Like, it's just one of those films. I just like, you know, everybody has certain films. Oh, it isn't it? It's just a joyous film. And it's like, they say fairy tales for adults, but it really is that. It really puts you back in that, I think, well, at least I felt at the time, it sort of put me totally back in that, that feeling of discovery and excitement that I felt as a kid watching things like Return of the Living Dead, but that same sort of sense that you were watching something special. And um, and and again, I think people slag the film off because it did become massively mainstream and successful. And that's always the case of when films become too successful. You know, these little films that start off maybe like outliers and yet they become very successful and then it becomes trendy to say, oh, I hate The House of the Devil, I hate Trick or Treat. And it's like, good for you, dude, but, you know. You want a cookie? <laughs> it's not the Sinistra way. It really fucking isn't, you know. it. Uh, there shouldn't be any... If a film is good, a film is good. And this film is fucking good. <laughs> It is the perfect Halloween film and it's, it's, it's totally, it, it, it captures also just, I remember as a kid, like Halloween, just the air and just it, it, Halloween literally felt like a night where anything could happen. Like not to, not to quote I Tim Curry. I still feel that magic now, like around yes. autumn. I just think it's the most magical time of the year. Everyone does Christmas, but for me, it's when the leaves start changing and just, Ooh. oh my God. Like, and that is one of the, and, and House of the Devil has that same energy as well. There's so few films that really capture that feeling. I, I love the original Halloween, even though that wasn't shot in autumn, but I do love the original Halloween for that as well, because it, mm. and let's get Jessica to death does it yes. as well like new england oh. well there's so few films that like capture the the magical essence of autumn and given how many horror fans you know i've seen horror fans 
people say, oh, Christmas gets early every year. I saw fucking horror fans celebrating Halloween in August this year. Come on, guys. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but around I, this time of year, everyone's like, oh my God, it's so magical. I just want pumpkins and I want, but, but it's like you can fill yourself up with all of that just by sticking trick or treat on. You don't have to get shitty that the, the stuff's not in the shops yet. <laughs> I mean, that's what we do. I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, would it be like pumpkin land 24 7? Of course, but it's not so. But we got trick or treat. It's all good. You just throw, throw it in. You know, pull it up to whatever streaming service, put in the Blu-ray and just be ensconced in this wonderful, wonderful macabre universe. I just realized before we sign off, <laughs> you just described we would live in Halloween town from Nightmare Before Christmas. That's what we do, isn't it? We'd be Jack fucking Skellington. Except jousting around singing this is Halloween all the time. Except we'd be singing songs about David Boy's cod like It's like the R-rated version of Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next month. And hopefully Heather would have watched House of the Devil by then as well. I am literally going to buy it after we, you have sold me so hard on this. I'm excited. Bye.